Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So uh, when I was 22 years old, I graduated college, and um, I came back to Worcester and graduated in May, and then I got a job in the very end of June in Blacksburg, Virginia, and Blacksburg, Virginia is in the New River Valley, so um, essentially it's a valley inside of the Appalachian Trail, inside of some amazing mountains, and where I lived, you could walk outside, and we were in the holler, which I didn't know what that was until I moved there, but essentially the holler is the bottom of the mountains. Where I lived, I could walk outside and do a 360, and I was always surrounded by a mountain, and it was incredible. Um, I got my first job as a youth pastor at a church, and I only really knew one person, kind of. He was a lot older than me um, growing up, but I I did know him. He's from the area, and so I I was pretty nervous and scared because, well, I didn't know anybody, and I'm asked to be a youth pastor of a church of people I don't know, so... Pretty early on, um, a man who ended up becoming one of my mentors invited me and and a couple other guys to just have regular times together um, where we would talk. We would just have low-pressure conversation. And we started calling these get-togethers campfire conversations because in the New River Valley, you could have a campfire in January because it could be 50 degrees which was amazing, and I would golf sometimes in January. And then it would snow a little bit, and people would lose their minds, and everything would shut down. But we could have a campfire the next day. So we called them campfire conversations because most of our conversations were around a campfire. On a pretty regular basis, we would gather around a campfire with the intention of the pressure's off, come as you are, leave when you want, let's have some good conversation. And it was in this time where Jesus did a lot of work in my life. I gained some lifelong friends around these campfires. Started with not knowing anyone, committed myself to a group of guys who would regularly get around a campfire, and God built inside of me lifelong friendships. It was around the warmth of the fire and low-pressure conversations that there was a warmth of friendship and safety. We were just there. We just showed up and we said, all right, what's on your mind? And after years of consistently committing to each other, these friendships have not been destroyed, even though I came all the way back to Worcester, Ohio. And there are some people in this room who have been, you know, ostensibly my campfire conversation friends for longer than that. But these campfire conversations, campfire conversation men from Blacksburg were some of the most important men in my life. It was these men who I asked for counsel. When I got asked to go caddy in Europe and Asia as a 25-year-old, I went to them. I said, what do you guys think I should do? I'm single? I mean, I get to go to Europe. This sounds pretty good. I didn't just say, you know what, I'm going to go do it. I went to them, and they had conversations with me. It was a campfire conversation men who I called when I was in South Korea thinking, I don't think I'm supposed to be here any longer. And I texted them, and we were on a different time zone, and it, And I FaceTimed them and asked, what do you guys think? I I need your help. I can't make this decision on my own. It was the campfire conversation men who I called when I started dating Melissa because I was like, I mean, they had the background of my Blacksburg story, and I was like, I think this is actually the one. 
And they're like, okay, well, what does she do? I said, she's a chef. And they're like, marry her. <laughs> it was a campfire conversation, men, that I called and processed about possibly planning a church with the Grimwoods here in Worcester. It's these campfire conversation men that kept me sane. About six months into ministry, I came from a ministry um, training where our youth ministry was anywhere from 100 to 200 people. I go to a church in Blacksburg where we had three people in the ministry. And I equated ministry success to numbers. So I'm losing my mind because I'm six months into ministry. I must have been trained for nothing because no one's here. And it was these campfire conversation men who kept me sane, who said, Stick with it. Shepherd the flock that's right in front of your face. Changed my life. Changed my ministry life. I still do ministry that way because of those campfire conversation men. And most importantly, it was these campfire conversation men who directed my crazy back to Jesus. And we all need that. We're all, we all get a little crazy sometimes. And we need men and women in our life who are going to redirect us not to our feelings and to our emotions, but redirect us to Jesus and what he says about those things. And I can honestly say that I would not be here if it wasn't for these guys. And God has actually provided a new set of campfire conversation men because unfortunately I can't be around a fire in Blacksburg, Virginia every couple months. That was my first taste of what Jesus-centered community really could be. I mean, because as a teenager... You kind of get it when you're in youth ministry, but as an adult, you get this new taste. And this was the first taste of what Jesus-centered community could be. A consistent time together, surrounded by Jesus and friends. And it took a lot of time to become close, but we stuck with it. And after three years, these campfire conversations man, helped shape and mold me into who Jesus wanted me to be. Hard conversations were done in love. I remember we played pickup basketball one day, and I was livid because no one was calling out a screen, and I was getting hammered by some football player. Now, we're playing four-on-four -four basketball at a parachurch organization on Virginia Tech, meaning this is like a ministry center. There's a basketball court, and I'm in there like, this is the final four. Like, someone call the screen, and I'm losing my mind. One of my campfire conversation men were there. We got in the car, and he's like, you're a jerk. You can't be like that. And I was like, you're right. There's, there's been heartbreak from all of us, and we've prayed for one another. This year, people in my campfire conversation, men, have had heartbreak who we have been praying for each other. Fun times were had. We invited, things, invited each other to things that we didn't even like to do. So my mentor was a huge fly fisherman, and he would take me in his backyard. He gave me a fly rod, and he's like, this is how you do it. And I feel like if I gave it time and effort, I could have fly fished. Like, I'm, I have some coordination, but I just didn't get it right away, and I didn't care. So I was just like, I'm not going to fly fish with you. I'm not going to do it. But all these guys went on a fly fishing trip. Um, just w Fly fishing trips in the New River Valley is like 10 miles because the river's right there. It's like, we're going to camp out 10 miles from where we live. I'm like, okay, I'll go because I could go home if it's horrible. So I went not to fly fish. I actually brought a chair, and I brought the Chronicles of Narnia, rereading those as a 23-year-old. And as they moved down the river, I moved my chair down the bank and was reading the Chronicles of Narnia because, because it was an amazing time because 
It was who I was with and not what I was doing. It didn't matter that I didn't know how to fly fish. It mattered that I was with the people who loved me and I truly loved. And it's this type of love and affinity, love and affinity, that we've been praying in the background for months and even years that we would get to experience at Southside Community Church. That you would be so intertwined with love, with your spiritual family, that it's not about what you do, but it's about who you are with. So this morning, I'm introducing part one of a two-part mini-series where we're going to be walking through the vision and hope for a formal community going forward here at Southside. What we're going to do as the church kind of grows and has been changing, how we're actually going to do community together at Southside. And so this is in your notes. We practice community. We practice community through monthly hospitality nights where we make friends, eat a meal together, share communion, and serve one another. So once a month, if you want to be a part of formal community here at Southside, if you say, I need something else, I want to be in formal community, we're going to be gathering into each other's homes for a meal and communion. And alongside these practical, really practical means of gathering, God, I I trust it because I've seen it and I've been in it, is going to build these deep and intentional relationships where we are served and we are serving others as well. Greg put this on the Facebook, but when stuff hits the fan, we show up. And we need people that know us intentionally and deeply, that when stuff hits the fan, we show up. When there's a reason to celebrate, we show up. We're there. We're not, we get there. When life inevitably leads us to sorrow and to mourning, we show up. We need a place where nobody slips through the cracks. And it can't just be the Caseries and the Grimwoods and the Bombers, and that's our staff who take the load of community, but it's got to be a whole church effort. So our way forward, as we've been praying and thinking and asking God, what does he want for community here, is that we see each of you involved deeply in each other's lives. Consistently and gently involved in each other's lives. So that Titch can call on Chad. And guess what? Chad can actually call on Titch. And Bree can call on Katie. And Katie can call on Bree and so forth. It's actually better this way, that the weight of a hundred people wouldn't fall on one person's shoulders, because I guarantee you, I would crumble. And I have a high capacity for people. I mean, I'll have 30 people at my house, and when they leave, it's like, let's go do something else. But I promise, if the burden was just on me and Greg, we would be crushed. And so we want to offer this vision of a whole church effort of community. So our theme passage for this week and next week comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I've been talking to some, um, what we're going to call them, hospitality hosts over the last couple weeks and months. And someone asked, well, why? Why, are we, why would we even get together? I mean, we have Sunday morning. I mean, they didn't say this, but this is, this is kind of how I think about it. Why would we do it? I mean, we could just be here Sundays and leave and it's all good. Why do we need to actually be deeply involved in each other's lives? So let's read Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So let me give you guys some context as to what hap- is happening in the book of Hebrews in this particular passage. The writer of Hebrews was giving three uh, back-to-back-to-back exhortations to the Christians. Now, an exhortation, it's in your notes, an exhortation is a communication of emphatically urging someone on. So you can encourage someone to do something. It's like, hey, I think this would be good for your life. And an, an exhortation is more like, do it. You got to do it. All right. Now, in the Bible, when you're exhor- exhorted, because you can exhort out of so many different evil things. You can exhort for your own gain. Uh, you can exhort because you, know, you have pride and you think your way is the best way. But in the Bible, when there is an exhortation, there's a way that we take it as Christians that is saying our life is better if we listen to this exhortation. Our life is better if we reorient our life around an exhortation. And these three emphatic urgings to the Christians were this. And these are so, I mean, they're, they're great. So we've been teaching and learning over the last three years. Exhortation number one in Hebrews 10 was draw near to Christ. Draw near to Christ. Number two was hold fast to your faith. So you draw near to Christ, you hold fast to your faith, And then the last exhortation was consider how to stir one another up to love and good works by regularly gathering together in each other's lives. So because there's an exhortation, it would mean that in the background, something something was happening or missing that made the writer of the Hebrews need to give an emphatic urge to the Christians. So what happened? Some commentators believe that it was clear that the Hebrew Christians had grown cold and indifferent to Christ because they were not involved in genuine Christian fellowship. Not because they didn't read their Bible and they didn't worship personally and they didn't just have their own one-on-one relationship with God. They had grown cold and indifferent to Christ because they weren't involved in each other's lives. The exhortation came out of a place of love and care. What he saw was that their nearness to Christ, how they felt about Jesus, how they experienced Jesus, how they persevered through hard times, it was in jeopardy because they had neglected to meet together. Because they had neglected their Christian brothers and sisters. It's built into the DNA of the Christian life that you would be genuinely and intentionally involved in each other's lives, huddled around the fire of Jesus. And this morning, I want to pull the curtain back just a little bit to help you see the reason why we do it. It's because the Christian life is meant to flourish in Christian community. It's not meant to flourish on your own. So let's notice in verse 24 what the writer says. He says, consider... Consider how to stir each other up. What he says is that we're meant to give deep contemplation on how we're to be involved in each other's lives. Consider is a contemplative exhortation. He's saying, take a step back from what you're doing right now. Maybe take some time alone with you and God. Give real, intentional thought and prayer as to how you need to be involved in your spiritual family and how you need your spiritual family. Consider 
how you would be used. Consider each other. Give time and prayer and thought. What does he ask us to consider? He's asking, he's saying that we need to consider how we would help each other become loving and live a life of good works. The culture teaches us that our relationship with Jesus is only one-on-one, only me. That we don't need each other. I don't need you, you don't need me. We can be very distant from each other and it's okay. But the Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews teaches us that love and good works come out of genuine Christ-centered community. You can confess Jesus as your Lord on your own, but you're not meant to. You're not meant to. Now, get that. You're not meant to be stirred to love and good works without your spiritual family. Your life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be lived together, surrounded by those who love and care about you. Now, this is another paradox in Christianity. Greg's talked about paradox the last couple weeks. Paradox is where two opposing thoughts work completely in line with each other. And this is a paradox. Jesus is enough, but you need your spiritual family. It's a paradox because it doesn't make sense that all I need is Jesus, but I also need my spiritual family. They, somehow they're intertwined. But the Bible is chock full of examples where all we need is Jesus and we need our spiritual family. So they have to work together, right? One example is Greg and I's relationship. We're pastors together, but also on Wednesdays we meet for a couple hours. And we talk about what pastors talk about, which, I mean, the question we get a lot is, what do pastors do, you know? It's like, we just sit around and pontificate. No, we talk about the needs of the church. We pray for you guys. But one of, one of the things that is most important about that meeting for me is that I am receiving and giving love and care. Like, I would say, and I'm going to throw just a random number, six out of ten times I come on Wednesday morning, if I can't make it to that meeting, like, I am crushed for the rest of the week. I need that meeting where we receive and love care from each other. I am brought back to center all the time because of that meeting. In one sense, I get all my joy and love and needs met by Jesus. In, in another sense, one of the gifts that God gives me is that he uses Greg in my life to meet my needs, to be stirred up to love and good works. You see how that works? Love and good works are the natural response to Christ-centered intentional community. And he exhorts us to consider how we would do this by not neglecting to meet each other. You can text each other. You can call each other. You can Zoom each other. And guess what? Even in this day, you could write a letter to each other. But the writer of Hebrews made it really clear that's not enough. Nothing beats face-to-face, genuine interaction together. And that's what we want to provide here at Southside where we would both be stirred up to love and good works and we would help others towards love and good works as well. And check this out. This is the most amazing part of, of Christian community. We're called, and I'm called, Alex is called, to consider others more valuable than myself. I mean, this is, one, this is Christian one. I'm considering others more valuable than me, right? So too you are, considered to, are called to consider others more valuable than you. 
So I'm considering others more valuable than me. I'm being taken care of because others are considering me more valuable than them. Do you see how the love is cyclical? We're considering each other more valuable than ourselves. We don't have one person who considers ten people more valuable than them, and the ten just take, take, take. There's 11 people, and I'm just making a number up, 11 people who all consider each other more valuable than themselves. And that Christian community flourishes. That's why we meet together, because we need each other. What an amazing picture of the kingdom. A love that's both given and received. And I want to say this. This is the ideal, right? We're going to mess up along the way. And that's what a family does. We show up even though we mess up. We come back together even though that one time was like a little awkward. We come back together. We say, all right, let's figure this thing out. So that's the why. I want to talk for just a second here about the culture of these hospitality nights. What we want to protect as a church. As you're going into each other's homes, this is how it should feel. Okay, The first thing that we're protecting is It's in your notes. It's that the spiritual family is open. The spiritual family is open. What we want to guard against is a type of ideology that's closed off to the rest of the world. So the opposite of the kingdom is that you only hang out and invite people that you love over to your house. Like that person's lovable, that person and I, we we make sense together. Those are the people who are allowed over. This person that I don't get along with, never allowed. That's the opposite of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom life is that we love people not based on how lovable they are, but because, why do we love, guys? Because we were first loved. We love because we were loved when we were unlovable. And that's the crux of the gospel, that Jesus sees you and says, even though you're unlovable, I love you anyway. And so the spiritual family is open We're not loving each other based on how lovable they are, but because we've experienced the love of Christ ourselves. And what I'm not saying, okay, I want you to get this. What I'm not saying is that you can't have community with the people that you already love and have affection for. I don't want you to think like, all right, we're coming in here and we're exploding all these friend groups and you have to just now be paired with six people you've never met. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the model of Jesus in the New Testament is that you have a loving and caring, even maybe small, group of genuine friends, and that group is open for others to join. It's not closed off. And I know, I'm looking out, I can see people, I know that there has been life change in this church because some friend groups have said, we're open to you. There are people in this church right now that have been to my house who joined in, not really knowing anyone, a group of already loving and caring, intentional friends who said, we're not going to leave you out of this conversation. Come on in. You're invited in. We didn't know you guys at all. And what has happened? God has built some amazing friendships. And one of my favorite things to see is someone who has come into this community who previously didn't know the other people in the community, who are now having their own intentional, genuine friendships. That's incredible. That wouldn't happen if the family was closed. It happens when the spiritual family is open. That's what the spiritual family looks like. 
We already have immense love and affection for each other. Join us. Justin Early has an amazing quote about friend groups being open, and I think it's in your, it is in your notes. Opening outward is the truest direction of friendship. The circle grows. Here in the kingdom, one plus one equals three or even four. The circle is complete, but it's somehow still open. Love defies mathematics and geometry. New, loving friendships breathe fresh wind into your life. And that's just how it is. And we're going to be closer to others than some than to others, and that's natural. But I've also seen another incredible thing happen when your mindset is the spiritual family is open. You ask God, you say, God, I'd like for you to build some affection in my heart for this person. And I also know some stories in here where that's happened. Where it's like, there's no way I can love this person. And God has built love and affinity. And the friendships have flourished. So that's what we want to guard and protect at Southside. We want to guard and protect a place where if there's a new family, a new person, they come into our church, there is a place for them. Number two, we want to guard a culture of sustainability. So this has been kind of a tension that we've been living in. And we've decided for now, we've decided for now that we're going to do a once a month hospitality night. Now the tension that we feel and we've heard and we've had conversation about is either we're really, really busy or we're not getting together enough. And those tensions, I mean, that's a real tension, right? Because sometimes I feel really, really busy and I feel like I haven't been around my friends enough. So what do you do, right? We want to embrace the tension instead of solving it. We want to say, okay, both of these things are real, but we're going to do something. We're going to step into it. So for now, we're going to start small. We're going to introduce this gentle rhythm once a month, hospitality nights, and since we said this since the beginning, marking our community's success in years and not in months. Looking back, and hopefully, I mean, ideally, God willing, 10 years from now, looking back and saying, look what God has built because we've, committed, we've been committed to each other for a long period of time. We're not expecting an outcome tomorrow. We're being gentle and gracious with each other as we show up. I've heard from different community group leaders in the past, small group leaders, that there's been different modes of small groups and community group where it just feels like there's a lot of energy in the beginning. We're going to get there. This is going to be amazing. This is new. And you meet every week, and on the sixth week, it's like, I hope no one comes. <laughs> and that's very real. And it's here, and I've been a part of it. Right? We want to build a church where when that night comes... I want to be there because it's sustainable. And if I miss this night, I'm not going to see them for another two months. That's our hope. We want to protect sustainability. And I want to say this. A little while down the road in 2022, we're going to introduce another gentle rhythm, another gentle rhythm where we're going to be able to get into each other's lives on a smaller scale. So you're, we're going to up it just a little bit at a time and then it's not going to feel so oppressive. All right, I'm going to finish with this, the practicals, what we actually are going to do at 
hospitality night. And Greg's going to take the next two next week. But we make friends and we eat a meal together. So I'm going to talk for a second here. An amazing picture of the kingdom is when people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and personality types have love for each other. That's, we studied 1 Thessalonians back at the Best Western. We finished it here. Is one of the main themes is that the Thessalonian Christians had deep love and affection for each other and affection for those who were different than them. That's an amazing picture of the kingdom. It's that Jesus defies, he defies the way of the culture and says, you can have love and affection for those who are different than you. So we're growing towards love with the help of the Holy Spirit, but also, and this has been kitschy in Christian, Christian culture before, it's like, you know, I don't have to like you, but I'm going to love you. I actually think that Christian community is supposed to be, I really like you. Like, I like being around you. This is, God has done something. If you're only ever around people, and it's like, I really love you, because, I mean, and I don't like you. <laughs> to me, that means that you really probably don't love them. It's that you're just saying the thing you heard at church. That you're supposed to love people, and even though you don't like them. It's not how it's meant to be. We're supposed to like each other. When I was a youth pastor, this is, I do not recommend you do this in an application for a church. But I wrote in my application, they still hired me somehow. It's not my job to be their friend, but to point them to Christ. <laughs> That's a real thing. I really wrote that. I looked back. It is in there. Thank God I did not write that in my other resumes. Anyway, looking back to that time, what I was really doing is was, was protecting myself. I was building a wall. I wanted to do distant ministry, and a lot of times we want to do distant friendship. You don't need to know anything about me. You don't need to get to know me. You don't need to know what my life's about, but I'll tell you what to do. And that's how we live with our phones and online. You don't need to get to know my life, but I'll tell you how you should live. That's not how it's meant to be. The kingdom is meant to be a place where you have deep, intentional friendships that are surrounded with Christ. And I was naive. And it took God to break me down to, to show me that life-changing ministry happened when we got to know each other. And that was the thing that changed. Our place went from a hangout to a family. And when I left, the heartbreaking thing was that I was actually leaving a family. I, it was hard for me to leave. I didn't just leave because I had a family there. I see it now. I need you guys. If you guys didn't like me, I mean... My life's going to move on, but I, it would be really hard to be a pastor around people who just don't like you. We love you, though. It's not how it's, it's, not how it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis says this about friendship. Is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? And I think the answer is no. Campfire conversations were essential. I would say 60% of my life ideology came from there. And it's in this 
idea of community group where we're committed to this human need of friendship. <clears throat> and this is what I hope and pray that we see. That it's here that we say, I'm open to new friendships, and my current flourishing friend group is open too. We're open. We're not closed. So we make friends. And the reason I said that we make friends is because there's going to be some of these community groups where it isn't like, we don't already know each other. We don't already have a flourishing friend group in this community group. We have a new church, so we're committed to making friends. We're committed to a long time together. And then hopefully in five years when new people come, it's like, man, this group's been together for five years. Isn't that incredible? Join us. You're going to feel like a brother. You're going to feel like a sister. All right. We, and we also eat a meal together, and I just want to mention this. And the reason that we eat a meal together is because food reminds us of our dependence on God. Food is a reminder to me that I'm anything but independent. And you can ask my wife, when I don't eat, the first thing that happens to me is I get sad. And I think I've mentioned this before. I'm like, if I'm depressed, if I'm sad, if I'm like can't get out of a funk, her, almost always her first question is, did you eat? And it's usually no. And my, my body and my emotions, they can't sustain themselves. My brain can't even be independent. It's dependent on so many things. And one of those things is food. And God made it that way. God sustains us through food and through a meal. And so the redeemed way to look at a meal is to say, God, you have reminded me again. My hunger came back. I need you. Thank you for this food. It's going to sustain me until my next meal where my hunger will come back and remind me that I need you again. We also eat a meal because it reminds us of our dependence on one another. This is the last thing. I want you guys to consider the, eat, the food that you eat today that you did not farm. Anything you eat today that you didn't farm yourself, okay? Think about the land that was tilled and prepared. Think about the seed that was planted and grown. Think about the harvesters who worked and received the crop. Think about the truck driver who delivered it to the grocery store. Think about the night shift worker who unloaded the boxes and shelled the food. Think about the cashier and the bagger. That's just to get the food home. If you're not doing the cooking, think about the home cook that you have. And you could flesh this out. If you have silverware, think about how that became a utensil. And if you have a plate, think about how that was shaped and someone had to do that. And the list goes on because in a world that likes to teach you that you are independent, your life is marked by dependence, even if you don't want it to be. And having a meal together once a month is a great reminder that we need each other and we are needed as well. That's all I got. Next week, Greg's going to dive back into how we experience this community together um, with communion and serving one another can truly say this at Southside. I love you guys. And I'm really excited to be a part of this church growing into deep affection. So let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.